0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding
1: family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon. You're listening to another episode of Family Business Radio. I am your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we're we'll have a powerhouse roundtable of those involved in marketing branding and graphics to lead us off with a special guest we have sarah ann wild with saw design studio llc welcome to the show sarah
2: thanks for having me
1: great so kind of share with our audience a quick story as to what got you into graphics design
2: uh, well, it took a segue. So, I'm actually a degreed product designer and practiced in product design for a while. Um, corporate America kept shifting gears. And so, I decided uh, the only person I could depend on was myself. And so, I launched my first business for the first time, stepped back into um, working for a company as their marketing, branding, graphic design. Uh, COVID happened, moved to Atlanta. And decided to relaunch my business. Right.
1: So, kind of share with us uh, when people talk about graphics design uh, as being a nerd. Here, my my first impression or assumption is kind of like video game design. But obviously, that's not your your uh, specialty. Kind of share with the audience what is marketing design on graphics.
2: Well, in graphics, especially for me, it's all about custom. There's a lot of avenues out there where you can tap into already made graphics. But then you look like everybody else. So my goal is really to understand the business, understand the business owners, so that when I design for them, it is them. It's uh, very custom for them. Um, And then, of course, the branding comes in where it's great if you have a logo, but if you are not advertising and getting your mark out there, people don't know you're in business. So you've got to be custom, clear, concise, and consistent
1: so what you're telling me is microsoft paint won't cut the job
2: probably not you might have some people coming after you if you use microsoft
1: oh okay did not know that well well, well, i assume our attorney as a next guest might have some words for that so can i share with if uh for a listener coming into you as a new client and they kind of got an idea in their mind what does that whole process working with you look like
2: so again, I've got some intake forms that are going to tell me a little bit about their business. If they have been trying to drum up business, then I want to know what have you done? What have wor- has worked? What has not worked? Um, then, of course, it does boil down to budget, uh, but I do work with small business owners. Uh, we can work out a monthly installment or whatever you need, but um, if I'm going to do a logo design for someone, they really should do a trademark search. That way, you're not stepping on one of the big guys or one of the smaller guys that worked hard to get their identity, and that keeps you in the clear mm-hmm. so that you can can conduct your business under that identity.
1: Mm-hmm. So good that, that you mentioned in terms of kind of doing a, a search first. So for someone with that idea, would it be more sound for them to reach out to an attorney to do a search first or kind of work with you and their attorney in conjunction?
2: You could do it multiple ways. They can do a search on their own. I could help them do a search, but I would recommend an attorney because they're the experts. And if you invest time, you hire me to do a design, we do all that stuff, we go meet with an attorney and they go, ding, 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 red flag, then we've put all that time and energy in the wrong place. Mm-hmm.
1: So then kind of share with like what the design process uh would look like. So let's say for example, they've got this idea, they've kind of checked through everything. Okay, this thing doesn't really exist out there. So how does it look like now working behind the scenes?
2: So I asked them to find logos that they like. And they don't even have to be in the same industry. But that gives me a little bit of information about color. It tells me about style. Are they more of a geometric? All lines are even rather than a flared line style. What kind of fonts do you like? Although I will make some recommendations because we all know that script is hard to read. So I would never (laughs) recommend that kind of font. Um, But that's the first exploration. The second exploration that goes with that is I want to know what words come to mind when you look at those logos. Well, why is that important? Well, what words do you want someone to associate with your logo and business identity? This is where, for me, it is really about that business. I want that image, that logo that is their partner on everything they brand. It truly represents the business. One should also think, does it reflect the industry that you're heading into? Now, if you're in engineering, that doesn't mean that you literally have to do two gears together. But is there something in there? Do you have a tagline that would help someone in a flash looking at your brand, your logo, saying, oh, I understand what industry they're in?
1: Well, then it kind of comes to the next uh, elephant room question is for those who are either new in business or, uh, as you say, uh, engineer, let's use engineers or more analytic-based businesses and they think, branding, graphics, why do I need that? (laughs) How would you kind of uh, impress upon them why branding, even for a very, uh, I guess, number crunching concrete business, uh, why why would it be valuable for them?
2: Well, you kind of opened the door to Microsoft. I would ask them, how did Microsoft get where they are today? Oh, all right. Touche. So, I mean, they had a plan, they had a vision, they were very strategic, and advertising. You've got to get your name out there, and obviously, we hear it all the time. Same with Target. If you think about Target, it's the most simplistic logo, and it has, they've done a rebrand, I think, six times from when they were, uh, you know, in business, um, but it's important to do a rebrand too because the styles do look a little antiquated. We can all look at something and go, "Oh, well, that's right out of the 50s. Mm. and co- so you don't want to be in today's time and look like you're in the fifties and stuff, unless your business is nostalgia of some sort. But um, you got to stay current. And another reason for a rebrand is, hey, everybody. My potential clients look at us. We have a new look um, because of technology it's impacted our business. We are now offering services that we weren't doing before, so it's really a great way to get your name out there loud and proud mm-hmm. well,
1: good that you kind of segue into uh, the whole concept of rebrand at what time or what uh, i guess criteria when a business is x amount of years in or maybe to hit a particular Uh, I guess, a KPI in their business. When should they explore rebrand?
2: Well, there's no magical number. I really think it is where are you as a business? Um, Everybody writes a mission and a vision statement. Well, you wrote that at the onset. You were passionate about it. You've now been in business for three years and things are changing. Is everything aligned? So I would encourage businesses in general Pull your employees together, have a brainstorming session, get them involved. If they're involved with where the company is going, aka a rebrand, they're going to be super excited that their opinion matters. Mm -hmm. So there's no magical number. It's really how much have you changed? How much do you want to change? Of course, the big equation would be is, are you having a return on investment? Mm -hmm. And if you're not... Then something needs to be realigned and rebranded.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, then it's it, almost like you're just kind of reading my mind here. So, segueing into return on investment uh, for a business, they're always looking at the bottom line. How how do they know that a particular rebrand or brand is working?
2: Well, hopefully, you have some checkpoints in place. I mean, in the mad society of social media, there's the backside of your analytics that you can check. Also, if you did something like a postcard campaign and you have a QR code on there, then you're getting feedback via the QR code. It could even be a special landing page for that campaign so you can track what you're doing. Um, Say you're going to do a billboard. Well, if you had a dedicated phone number on that billboard, then every call that comes in, you know Hey, it came from the billboard. So that was something that paid off. Mm -hmm. It's got to be trackable somehow. You have to be able to quantify it.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, then lastly is as the business kind of growing and just starting off or to get a new idea in mind, uh, would you say kind of the image itself is kind of everything for the business then?
2: Well, how many people are running around with logoed shirts on? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The logo is really where it starts. That is your star that appears on every form of advertising or reaching out to your customers that you do. They have to work in partnership. And again, I'm going to go back to it's got to be custom. It's got to be a clear message. It's got to be concise. And you've got to be consistent. You can't say, oh, I'm going to do a postcard campaign and do it for one month. You know, that's that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Repetition is how we learn. Repetition is how you build up trust. We want to do business with people that we know, like, and trust. And then I work on building the relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, then it's kind of closing that end, because I know uh, on a personal side, more than just graphics design on a website, you also take into account for physical products, the packaging yes. itself. Kind of share with, with the audience like. And particularly for the business, why that is just as important than just something on a website.
2: Well, if if you talk about packaging specifically, there's a lot of equations that go into packaging. And I do what is called backwards design. So the first thing I would need to know is where is the retail space? Have you secured retail space for that product to appear in a store? Mm-hmm. Um, it's expensive, it's tricky. Um, you know, Walmart can pretty much say, we're going to charge you X, Y, Z to be in the store. That might help you decide how much product is in the store. Then that helps you quantify, am I packaging three up, six up, 12 up? How am I going to go about that? So I really have to start at the end to really do a sound design that's going to create that ROI.
1: For those that are listening in and kind of getting a quick crash course on more than just graphic design of Microsoft Paint, and of course, should not be using that, how can they best find you?
2: Uh, Well, I would say the best place to find me is probably go to LinkedIn. All of my direct contact information is there. Um, You can also go to my website, which is sawdesignstudio.com. I welcome phone calls if That is an avenue that's quicker. I am also on um, Instagram and Facebook, but I have to be honest, I'm so busy doing other people's (laughs) social media that oftentimes mine could use some work. Maybe I need to hire somebody to do mine. (laughs) It's
1: sort of like the joke of the cobbler's kids have no shoes. You're so busy focusing on everyone else's marketing.
2: Design yeah, Right. But if you look up Saw Design Studio LLC, you will find me. But again, LinkedIn has phone number, web address, and obviously you can direct message through LinkedIn.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Sarah. And our next uh, guest, uh, just a perfect segue, we have Richard Reimer with Initiating Protection. Welcome to the show, Richard. Thank you, Anthony. Good to be here. Great. So kind of share with us a story of what got you into law and out of all aspects of law, IP and branding and marketing?
0: Uh, A lot of different answers I can give there. Uh, First of all, I did not start as a lawyer. I actually was a CPA. I was the uh, kid who put himself through undergrad. And after four years of uh, paying for undergrad, realized I could start making money or I could continue paying money and going to law school, which was the original plan. So I started making money, Mm -hmm. uh, going as an accountant. And after about five or six years of that, realized it really was not doing for me what I wanted to do for me and uh, decide the eight-year-old inside of me was right. I should go to law school. So as a second career, went back to law in the ev- uh, law school in the evening, uh, completed my degree while I was still a CPA. Uh, but then when I left law school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew I wasn't a litigator. That's just not my mindset. I also knew that uh, I didn't want to touch people at their lowest points in their life, like criminal law or uh, divorce law or something like that. Uh, so transactional seemed to be a good fit for me. And in the summer that I was working in the law firm before I uh, graduated law school and got my full offer, uh, the, uh, one of the attorneys asked me to help them on a due diligence project where our client was buying someone else. And one of the things we had to do was look at the schedules of things that were being acquired, one of them being intellectual property. Well, my head was spinning, like many of our listeners right now, probably, what did he just say? Uh, the, the, the twenty you know nine year old that was me at the time was doing the same thing. What, what did he just say? And he explained it to me. And during that project, I fell in love with intellectual property. Uh, I went back to law school for my final year, knowing that I wanted to get as many IP courses as possible and uh, graduated uh, working in in IP. So uh, Mm. that's kind of how I got to IP. But started in the large law firms in Midtown, uh, working with a lot of Fortune 500 companies and similar companies. And when I got senior enough to start sending my own cease and desist letters when I was uh, managing the files, I got a lot of phone calls from small businesses around America that I was sending the cease and desist letters to saying, but I didn't know. Uh, And first of all, the law doesn't care if you don't know, uh, something going back to what Sarah Ann just said. mm -hmm. Uh, but second of all, I, I, at first just disregarded them, thought that they were lying to me. They're just trying to play on my sympathies or something. And person after person after person kept saying, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And since I'm a really, really bright person, I finally realized they don't know. I believe them mm-hmm. and realize there's a great opportunity in the small and mid sized markets, including in my own neighborhood. Uh, so, from the large law firms, try to start bringing in the small and mid sized companies from my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I live in Smyrna now, and you know, there's a lot of small and mid sized companies there. And they balked at going to the large law firms. Uh, first of all, it was too expensive, okay. and I appreciate that. And second of all, if they did come on board with one of the large law firms, they would become the thousandth most important client. Uh, very, very unimportant and not getting a lot of attention. So they typically did not stay. And I realized that if I wanted to serve that community, I had to do something drastic, and I started my own law firm uh, to address that issue.
1: Mm-hmm. So dropping that word, intellectual property, for those who may have heard it for the first time, explain to us in a non legal firm <laughs> term, of what is IP? Intellectual property covers
0: a lot of um different concepts within the law. I actually think a better term might be intangible property if you want to think of it that way for the purpose of this conversation. But the correct term is, as you said, intellectual property. Mm -hmm. It's the rights that you can have in a lot of different things, including inventions, which is more the uh, area of patent law. Mm -hmm. It could also include the rights and branding, which we're going to be talking a lot about today, which is trademark law. It can include the rights in the arts, which is primarily copyright law. There's a lot of crossover and all those, but those are the three main areas. People also think of things like trade secret, which could be things that makes your company better than the others, the secret sauce, if you will. Coca-Cola has famously held its recipe as a trade secret to keep from sharing with others. It could be a Rolodex, all the people that you have. Uh, Any information like that, that's sort of your secret sauce to make your business better is a
1: trade secret. So, So for... More clarification or understanding is IP is more than just kind of the patents where some people would think of oh it's an invention they can actually see it but as I think a better term you brought up is the intangibles let's say the recipe of Coca Cola maybe the KFC recipe and everything else that kind of puts as you say the secret sauce ingredients exactly it's the the. Part of the
0: ownership that you can't really touch, and we'll touch on that a little bit in a second, but uh, when you think of, I own a brand, or I own an invention, or I own this piece of art, uh, the, I'm the inventor, uh, the, the artist of this piece of art, what exactly do you own? What do you mean I own? You know, I understand if I own a piece of land, I, I can go sit on it, I see it, I live it, I see the the pins that have been pounded in the ground that I uh, draw my property lines between, but to own something
1: like a brand, what is that? That's what I dive into. So that kind of leads uh, to right to the next question is for a brand. What, what does that differ or how does it differ from a trademark?
0: Great question. Um, branding and trademarks are kissing cousins of each other, but they are very different things. Uh, a trademark, according to the law, is any device. A device could be a word. It could be a symbol, like a design. It could be a sound. It could be a smell. Anything that ties a company uh you know, ties to a company. So when I see the McDonald's sign, I immediately think of McDonald's, even if I just see the golden arches, that is a trademark. So it's any symbol, any device that is meant to signify a specific source, a source identifier of goods or services. A brand, as Saran will tell you, it's a little bit more than that. Uh, a brand is the feeling you get when you see that thing. That when, uh, the story I love telling is imagine you're on a road trip to the beach you and your buddies have been in the car for two hours. You're all getting a little antsy. Maybe you want something to drink, something to eat. Maybe you, you need to go to the bathroom. And off in the distance, the next exit, you see the golden arches. Immediately, everyone gets something in their head. Most people will say, yeah, let's stop. Mm-hmm. Some people might say, let's keep going. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what your response is. It's that response. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what the brand is. And that's what people like Sarah do a great job of creating is what is that response? I don't create that response. I help make sure that response
1: stays with you. Mm. Well, you kind of listed at least one or a couple of reasons as to why someone should at least consider protecting their brand. Can you share with us a little bit more of those who may have already done the work and have their own graphics? And Oh, as they're listening, well, okay, great, but I already kind of have this design out there. It's clearly mine. Why do I need to take an extra step?
0: Well, one of the big questions is, are you sure it's clearly yours? Um, I'll I'll answer your question a little bit more directly, but I often ask people two questions and this, this will impact uh, whether or not they should be interested in brand protection. Number one is if I told you tomorrow you had to stop using your brand, would you care? And number two is if I told you your competitor was going to start using something confusingly similar across the street, would you care? If you say no to those two, have at it. You don't need me. Mm -hmm. But for the other 99% of the companies out there, that's what I'm protecting against. I'm making sure that you have the ability to continue using your brand. We'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. I also have the ability to make sure that your competitor can't use something that's so similar that your best uh, customer thinks that they are you. Mm-hmm. they uh, confusing the marketplace. And there's um, you know, a, a lot of different ways you can go at it. And there's different things that you do. But as Sarah M. very wisely said, it starts with searching. You have to know what's out there. Uh, nobody. Uh, I've done goodness ten thousand or more searches in my time as an attorney, and I don't have a beginning of an understanding of what's out there because there's just so much out there. And you have to really dive into your area. The the new brand that Sarah Ann creates and her client brings to me to protect. It's unique to me. It's unique to the world, and I have to understand how is that client going to be able to protect their rights? What rights can they have in that brand? Can they use the brand? Is it so similar to someone else's that they can't use the brand? There's a lot that goes into that analysis. I hear a lot of people that said, well, I typed the brand name in Google. It came back clear. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, and you used your 20 years of legal analysis to do that. Uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, Let's make sure that this brand is clear for you to use as you want to use it. And sort of the corollary to that is how much right can you gain in that brand? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, not only can I see if the footprint you want to set down is okay, uh, is clear, but also how much space is around the footprint. Maybe you can gain extra things. You know, maybe it's not a problem that. Uh, you can use widgets, sell widgets under the brand that Sarah Ann created. Mm-hmm. But can you also sell gizmos, which is your next uh, thing that you want to do? Mm-hmm. So let's look out just a, you know one step further and understand exactly what it is. So once you search, once you understand what you can own, the next step is almost like going to the uh, courthouse with a deed to record the fact that you own the real estate, which is going to the trademark office and saying, I want to register my brand. I want the whole world to know that when you look at the, the Acme brand, and you see it it on widgets, that that's me. Mm -hmm. And that's the basics of what a brand is. And there's a big step that goes through that. that It's not just filing an application, you're done. There's several layers of review. There's different ways you go through it. There's a lot of analysis as to how you respond to various things that will be brought up your way uh, as you get through the process. And that step is what I call authentication, because it could be a registration. It could be you get a... um, Coexistence agreement with a third party, or sign a license, or get a franchise agreement, or many other things to authenticate your right that you can use this brand. Whether it's a deed filed with the courthouse, a registration, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a, 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 if you go back to real estate uh, again, it's the lease agreement from someone that does own the right that says, yes, you can be here. So those are the things that go about it. Then there's a few other steps to policing and enforcement that uh, uh, may not be, might be too much for this uh, conversation.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so what you're saying is Google law is not exactly going to cut it out for me. I
0: would not recommend Google. And Google has its place in the world, but uh, I think when you're looking to get professional advice from anyone at this table and most other people, uh, uh, professions out there, Google might give you a sense of what's going on and might inform your uh, conversation with a professional,
1: but does not replace a professional. So you kind of outlines just some of the steps necessary, at least behind the scenes, to begin the process and going through to. I guess a metaphor would be getting that deed saying, yeah, yeah, I, I letting the world know I own this brand. Uh, what are some of the big myths that, um, people kind of make assumptions of when using brand and coming to you and thinking, oh yeah, I'm protected. And then you find out, uh, nah, not really. Gosh, there are all sorts of myths. Uh, myths come at me from all directions.
0: I'm often surprised. One of the ones that, uh, catches me most frequently are people who have for example, formed an LLC. And so they went to the secretary of state and they, uh, you know, had chin, uh, industries incorporated, uh, signed, uh, registered as a corporation with a uh, secretary of state. And now you, Anthony, in this hypothetical believe you have every right to use chin industries as a brand. You don't, you don't, the secretary of state is not looking at your ability to, uh, to grab a brand. So the fact that you have the ownership of that particular name as an entity, has nothing to do with your ability to use it as a brand. So if you've gone to the secretary of state, that's a good step. Your corporate lawyer is probably happy with you, but it really has no impact on this area of the law. Mm -hmm. Uh, A very similar one to that is I own the URL, the website, the domain name. Uh, So I have chinindustries.com. So I can use chinindustries, right? No, (laughs) you can't. Again, the, the there's so much that goes into it. Uh, it might be that uh, you can't use chin and you couldn't get the chin com domain name because someone had it and they advertised pet adoption or something unrelated to whatever. There's just a website they grabbed mm-hmm. that wouldn't keep you from using chin industries, but it could be that I couldn't get chin industries, So I got chin hyphen industries.com back in the day. And I am chin industries before you and my use prior to yours will prevent yours. Those are sorts of things that people don't think about as they're uh, looking at the very basic idea of, I have this uh, LLC registered, or I have this domain name, or these other sorts of things. Uh, Another thing, and uh, I'm sure Sarah Ann covers this quite well in her agreements, but as you're dealing with someone who's designing your agreements, make sure you actually own your design. Uh, There are is a lot of misconception. I'm jumping really quickly from trademark law to copyright law for those of you scoring at home and shame on you if you are. But uh, when Sarah Ann, I'm sorry, I'm picking on you. You're doing this well, I'm certain, uh, creates a design for you. She is the author of that design and it's hers forever and always until she assigns it to you. A lot of people will say, but my agreement says that it's a work made for hire. And it goes from the author, Sarah Ann, to me via work made for hire. Statutorily, that's incorrect. There's only nine categories of works that can be a work made for hire, and graphics are not one of them. Mm -hmm. And so if all your agreement has is the fact that it's a work made for hire, and that assumes to uh, give the right from the author, the, the graphic design artist, to the person who paid for it, the person who paid for it does not own it. There actually needs to be an assignment. So don't assume that just because you have physical ownership over, in this case, a piece of uh, design work, that you actually own it. You've got to be careful about the, sort of the custody of title along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, then kind of going uh, a little segue from creating graphics from scratch, what about people who are working with clients who want to use their own name, their image? Because you use Chen Industries as an example, uh, especially now with I think it was the year or two where um, now athletes can use their likeness as kind of their brand, um, how, I mean, how, how would you help them navigate uh, kind of this new area that's kind of opened up?
0: Well, name, image, and likeness is incredibly new to the world of college athletics. Mm-hmm. So There's a decision in June of 2021 that allowed college athletes to uh, gain financially from their name, image, and likeness. But as far as the rest of the world goes, it's centuries old. It goes back into the 1800s. Uh, People have been pitching things for the longest time. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, go back to your childhood, unless you're just 18 months old. I'm sure you remember some famous athlete or celebrity pitching some product. You know, that's name, image, and likeness. But to your point of Chin Industries, and I want to use my name with my company, uh, A, you don't have an absolute right to do that. Um, It could be that your name happens to be confusingly similar to someone else's. If my last name were McDonald's, I cannot own a restaurant called McDonald's Restaurant just because it's my last name. You, you probably get that analysis. Well, it could just as likely be true with Chen. So we need to make sure that Chen is available for you to use as you want to use it. Uh, second is looking at a brand as more than just today's way of selling things. Uh, a brand is your identity. A brand is not just what they call you today. It's what they'll call you tomorrow. And the more established this company and this brand become, the tougher it is to separate the two apart. So I warn people before they use their name as the only way to identify the business: are they they're they're, they're tying themselves to the business for a long, long period of time? Mm-hmm. You know, take you again, Anthony Chin Industries grows up and becomes you know worldly famous. And thirty years from now, you're thinking, "I've had enough of this. I want to retire, enjoy my family, whatever." And they say, okay, but we have to have the right in chin industries. We need the name Chen. And if you say no to that, the value of your company goes down a lot because you're not allowing them to use the brand, whoever you're selling this to. Mm-hmm. If you say yes to that, you're allowing them to potentially, you know, uh, somehow mar your name. Let's say chin industries is found to have large toxic spills or something in the future after you're oh. gone. And all of a sudden your neighbors are pointing to you and saying, Oh yeah, you're a toxic spill guy. Mm-hmm. I was gone years before that happened. It doesn't matter. So once you tie your name to a company, it's pretty well tied. And I I warn people about that. I have a very young man that I represent who um, has a pie company, and his face, his name, and everything is part of the company. Mm -hmm. And as a 20-something, I don't think he realizes that one day he might not want to be part of this. And it might be before he's 65. He could be 35 if he does well and do this. Mm -hmm. But just just think that either A – you're going to devalue your company by pulling your brand away when you sell the company, assuming there's some sort of a sell transaction at the end or B you're going to allow someone else to use your name. Those are your two choices.
1: Sounds like, could be work of some rebranding in the future then well it could
0: be and 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 by the way the sarah ends of the world are going to do a great job through the rebranding but you know chin industries is now going to become you know acme industries chin is gone it's going to be a lot of effort to really tie acme to Mm chin such that there's the same value there
1: so how can our listeners that are kind of either getting their heads spinning or having score points (laughs) shame on them at home how can they best reach out to you richard uh the several ways you can reach out to me I'm on LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh my
0: uh, company website is In It To protect uh, on LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh my uh you can also reach out to me on my actual company website which is initiatingprotection.com or you can call me on my uh a business phone which is 678-965-3268 All right
1: thank you and our next guest we have Scott Wheaton with Proformer 1 point welcome to the show Scott Hey Anthony, how are you? Doing good, doing good. Share with us
3: uh, our audience, how did you get started? I started back um, out of college in uh, print sales is basically where I started. I had a couple of jobs before that and I went to school for graphic design and uh, commercial photography and uh, got into print sales. So I did that for about 22 years, commercial print sales. Mm
1: -hmm. And from there what Uh, kind of got you into kind of designing your own firm and and really just digging all in into print sales?
3: So when, when I was selling print, my customers got to be, uh, they got to ask me a lot of like, could you do this? Can you, you know, uh, sell this to us? And I had, I had to say no because I was selling to, well, I was selling for equipment, right? So Mm. if the salute, if, if my solution didn't fit their, their need, then I had to figure out a way to, to sell my equipment into that mix, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was just, no, we couldn't do it. So so having having this uh, procurement company, if, if you want to call it that, so now I sell for the solution and not for the equipment, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: So for a new visitor coming in, whether it's just a, like a physical product or, or packaging or just perhaps maybe a sign or branding, at least for for, for the firm coming to you, uh, what is something that they should at least consider First, before coming to you, or is it something that you be able to help them along the process of the design and taking into perhaps even with the materials itself when designing the print?
3: So, how we operate is usually companies have need; um, they need someone to procure their printed products, their swag products, uniforms, and apparels, uh, and a corporate apparel. So, where we come in is they usually already have that stuff, or if they're just starting, they need it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we use contract designers like Sarah Ann, and we uh, we work with them through, uh, through the design phase and whatnot. But a lot of times what we do is, is uh, we reverse engineer it. We ask, what's the purpose? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? What do you want your brand to look like? How do you want to, you know, uh, let your brand move is our tagline, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you want to get your brand out there? So we start from there, and then procure those products or solutions so usually marketing directors or human resource directors they um, they don't have time to go out and source all this stuff there's thousands of suppliers that that, that we have access to so on in on, in one aspect we're like glorified shoppers like oh. you have a personal shopper to go out and buy you know buy your suits or something right mm-hmm. uh, so we, we we look at it like well you know you need these items where do you get them from Mm-hmm. So we go out and curate those and present ideas and solutions for whatever they're trying to accomplish. So that's how we procure print, printed products, branded products, swag, uniforms, things like that.
1: What do you find is kind of the, the most often request from business coming to you?
3: Probably the most requested product um, if it's not part of some solution or something usually it's uh drinkware that's usually the number one request mm-hmm. it could be t-shirts it could be polos um uh, things like that mm-hmm. now is there a, kind
1: of a, a new trend coming around the corner uh, other than just kind of t-shirts it's for these companies to really make themselves stand out rather than the traditional like you say uh drinkware
3: yeah it's uh, the trend now is is sustainability um mm-hmm. uh, it's uh its products that are that are safe for the environment, safe for the earth. That's that's a big move. Um another thing trending now and I think this is going to continue like the sustainability is uh employ onboarding kits and thank you kits, retention kits. Mm-hmm. Uh when covid scattered everybody out and away from the away from the office and put everybody back at home for a while, uh one of the challenges for employers was to Keep everybody engaged and let them feel appreciated because a lot of people you know, miss that office energy. Mm-hmm. And so, what what we saw was a huge uptick in uh, employee onboarding kits, and uh, we we call it retention and uh, and, and welcome kits. But they um, that seems to be a huge up- uptick, and we'll see that continue. Um, even even if employees all go back to the office like it was pre COVID, mm-hmm. you'll still see. Uh, for those in field employees, you'll still see those kits going out. Um, so imagine, you know, starting at a company, and all of a sudden this big box of stuff shows up, all this swag, right? So mm-hmm. it's it can be sustainable swag. It can be high-end swag. It can be anything, right? So we're seeing a huge uptick in that and uh, the sustainability products.
1: So nice that we can kind of segue quickly. It's more than just uh, marketing and branding for New clients or existing clients, but also for the employee side of things, especially with, with kind of the hot topic uh, for the past two years of the labor crunch, where all, all the power is in the hands of the employees and you've got recruitment and retainment uh, concerns. And when you, the moment you mentioned in terms of kind of the, the welcoming kit, uh, my wife got <laughs> several. So I'm yep. quite familiar with that. Is, was that something that is, was already around and then just Became more popular during twenty twenty, or has, has it just something as a solution that was just quickly thought of?
3: You know, it's it's been around for a long time. I'll I'll give you an example. When Yeti came out with their Tumblr, tumblers have mm-hmm. been around forever, right? Yeah. It's been around forever. Well, Yeti decided to put a spin on it, try to market it better, right? So, and and then it just it went off. It just it just took off, right? So, employee kits are kind of the same thing. They've been around. I mean. An onboarding kit, a welcome kit, you know, you you might have gotten it, but it really wasn't a big deal because not a lot of people did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had done some employee kits and all prior to that, but it really set in after COVID or during COVID. It's wherever it really, really kicked in. And so like marketing directors will come or HR directors, especially HR, usually it's HR that initiates that, but they'll come to us and say, okay, we want to do an employee kit program. Mm -hmm. So we build, we can build online stores so they can order this through the through the website, right? And there's all kinds of things we do there from a technology standpoint. But one of the things that they ask us to do is, okay, we need you to put together this really cool kit and we want wellness to be a theme. Mm-hmm. So what products, it could be printed products. It could be, it could be, uh, uh it could be custom made, uh, headwear, bandanas, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what can y'all put together for us to really let our employees, you know, know that we're thinking about their health, right? So then we get back to work. And so behind the scenes, We may spend 25, 30, 40 hours going through and just kind of curating this stuff, just an ideation session, right? Mm -hmm. And then we pull it all together into presentation and and, and feed it back to them. And then we'll have brainstorming sessions with them. Well, you know, you've given us 30 products, but we like these 15. Can you do some more research on these 15? Give us some more options like that. Mm -hmm. This could go on for two or three months. It could go on for a week, depending on how fast they want to get it out. So. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of that research for them. And then, like I said, glorified shoppers, right? So we procure that stuff and give it back to them. And then mm-hmm. we create the kit. And we may use five or six suppliers across the country and pull everything into our fulfillment house, mm-hmm. pull the kits together and drop ship them to 2,000 employees. So that's that's a lot of what we do.
1: Uh, so, so, so it's not just uh, they push a button and then magic comes falls from the skies there's this as you say anywhere between a week's Correct. full commitment to even months of kind of really narrowing down on this elections process
3: yep and the supply chain messed that up a lot too whenever because with the supply chain not having the products in the united states mm-hmm. just because it's not over here yet um and that's getting a lot better but you had to even plan you know months before you normally would so yeah, it got interesting there for a while. Oh, yeah. still is. <laughs>
1: so what? what uh, out of I guess whether it is the welcoming kits or a project, what is one that just stands out the most in terms of memory that was the most fun to work
3: on? Um, we had one for a uh, uh, a shipbuilder that we do. They do government contracts for large carriers, oh. and uh, they wanted a uh, a beer and wine glass collection sent out to their to, to a specific set of employees for it was some celebration mm-hmm. so we had to get into the custom packaging so the box was was custom designed inside and out and then we had to figure out a way to obviously ship glass and not break it so we had custom branded tissue paper so you try to take advantage of all the of all the items going into the package right so mm-hmm. We them a few designs of that, and then we settled on this really cool tissue paper that was branded, and then the box that all kind of you know matched and went together. Um, that was that was pretty cool. That was a that was a good challenge for us there. And there's you know I can give you examples of a lot more, but that was one of the ones that stood out in my head for sure.
1: How long was that whole timescale between being presented with this kind of issue and goal they're looking to accomplish to execution, and kind of seeing the end
3: product? Probably a month. About four weeks, I would say, from the time we started. Uh, I don't think it went to five. Probably four weeks it mm-hmm. takes. And that was that was rushing through the design phase. We had to, we had to hurry up with the design phase because we knew production. You can only the presses will only turn so fast, right? Mm-hmm. So you try to you try to speed what you can. And, and Sarah Ann will tell you, she's gotten a lot of calls like, "I need this, you know, I need this, <laughs> I, need this I need this design next week." So. Um, so we worked through that and, and, and got them what they needed. And most kits will take about four to six weeks. From the time you start curating all the all the products and get it all figured out, then you got to figure out how you want to package it, what goes on top, what goes on the bottom, what goes to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it, but usually it's four to six weeks. So, so, so what you're telling me
1: is it, that nicely designed fit box as you open up, just obviously some thought process. Does it does not magically they didn't just, appear. Yeah, they don't no. just magically it appear. Does, <laughs> not magically
3: appear, <laughs> yeah. no.
1: Great. So share with the audience how to best reach out to you and find someone to be able to help them navigate and just do this whole back end shopping for them.
3: So I'm on LinkedIn, under um, Scott Witten. And then you can always go to my website or our website, performa one mm-hmm. And the contact us form will come straight to my email. And then I'll disperse it amongst the team, whoever, whoever needs it. I think the best one that can do it. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. So you've all heard it here, uh, some quick perspectives on starting a graphics design from scratch to kind of the legalese or at least some some legal perspectives on protecting one's brand to kind of now implementing and executing the physical side of the product and getting your brand and imagery out there. So as kind of a wrap-up uh, question or scenario for our three brains, uh, big brains over here is as a new business is coming in and they're just kind of hearing all of this pieces that they need to get together and they haven't even opened up the doors yet. So what is something that they could at least think about or at least what is their first steps that they can make to at least make the process a little either less intimidating or make it easier for them to at least get the ball rolling? So that will be the question uh, later on as we bring out three guests coming in is... If you were working with a new client and there's a new business and they're kind of getting fire hydrant blasted with information and options, where should they really focus and start on first? Uh, Here is kind of the legally side of things of the show. Uh, This show is sponsored by yours uh, truly, Anthony Chen, with Lighthouse Financial Network, Securities and Advisory Services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc., RAA member FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products or services are referenced here are independent of RAA. The main office address is at 575 Broadhollow Road in Melville, New York 11747. You can best reach me at 631-465-9090. My extension is 5075 or my email, Anthony Chen, C H E N at L F N L L C dot com, and I too also have a LinkedIn uh, profile, so you can connect with me there as well. So, bringing our three marketing specialists back from all different kind of perspectives. So, again, the question was for a new client and business coming in, and they've got this idea, and now they're kind of being overwhelmed, and they're just wondering, okay how do I start? Where do I start? So Sarah, kick us off.
2: Well, I think the first place I would have them start is researching competition. I think in today's age, it's very hard to say this is a brand new product niche, not that that doesn't happen. But from researching, you will learn what they did right, maybe what they did wrong, maybe what they didn't do that could be a new avenue for you. I think the second thing is, is you really need to talk to the experts that are here with us today. Mm. Because at the bottom line is, well, what is it going to cost me? And, you know, a part of you may be living in fear, thinking, well, I don't really want to know, I don't want to address that. Well, it's really peace of mind if you sit down and you have the conversation, specifically to graphic design, then we could share what would be the best way to reach your target audience And then what kind of campaign, what is that going to cost? I'm not expecting you to write me a check. But if you know what that campaign is going to cost, then you can reflect and say, well, I can't do that today. I can't do it tomorrow. I can't do it next week. But if you need to save for six to eight months, now you have peace of mind to know what my part of the business is. And then you need to reach out to the other two experts here today To find out, well, you know, what does it cost if I'm going to register things? You know, what's it going to cost to hire an attorney? Hey, that was a great package there and a promo item that I want to do for somebody. Well, what's the bottom line? What is it going to cost me? That way then they can build the strategy, relax, breathe, and launch a plan.
1: Thank you.
0: Richard? The number one thing a small business can do is searching. Businesses come to me in a lot of different ways. Sometimes they already have their name in hand and it's non-negotiable. Sometimes they have five or six names and they don't really know which way to go. The people that have five or six names, I can do a very simple knockout search for them to make sure none of the six have horrible problems. This is not a very in-depth search, but it's something that you can easily do to knock out any brand that just should not be considered. If you come to me with just one brand name, I offer a search that I call a brand health assessment. Costs $275. It gives you an idea of how much risk you have with using your brand. I'll go through a lot of different resources and let you know what some of the risks are, what your chances are of overcoming those risks, and how much that process will cost. When it will happen, how how much will it cost to file the application? When does that happen? How much will it cost to overcome any objections that the government raises? when would that, those costs happen and any other costs along the way? And everyone has a slightly different, uh, journey through the registration process. I can look at you for what you are and give you your numbers. And much like Sarah said, we can determine at that point, uh, you know, is this something I can start today or do I need to wait a couple of weeks, months, whatever, but you know what it is and what's going to cost.
1: Thank you, Scott.
3: So funny. You asked the question, had a referral last week, um, there's uh these two ladies are launching a a a new product and they um and and so they were you know one of the co-founders on the phone with me and she wanted to know um she needed gifts for like fundraisers and um so they're in they're not in the early phases they're down the road a little bit but they're probably a year away from the actual launch i like, this is, you know, this is a lot of money behind this. It's a real deal. And I could tell really quickly they'd put a lot of thought and effort into it. And the first thing I asked was, well, can you send me your branding guidelines, which Sir Ann's going to do, right? She she works on that stuff. Like, what is your logo? What is your branding guidelines? What are your colors? What challenges, I mean, are you trying to accomplish with, you know, I mean, you know, anybody can get a pen. It's way more than a pen, Right. What are you trying to accomplish by, you know, giving these gifts to these fundraisers? Do you want it to say this? Do you want it to say that? But I've got to know I got to know the purpose, right? I've got to know what where's the passion, where's the purpose? And then what am I working with? Where are my logos? Where are the branding guidelines? Because if if we choose something that only comes in pink and your color's blue, it's not going probably not going to work, right? Yeah. So that's one of the first things I ask is you know, do they have some of this stuff? You know, and then going to Richard, right? They've already done that. It's it's they've got the patent and all that, right? So, you know, there is things that they do before they get to us, mm-hmm. and if they haven't done them, I am either going to say, okay, we can help you with the design, can help you with the trademark and, and that, so we refer them out, um, or I'll bring in somebody like Sarah Ann and we work with them and get it going. So that's that's how we position it.
1: Great. Well, thank you all for your insights. And again, for, uh, before we fully close out our show, share with us your contact information again, how our audience can best find you. Sarah? Uh,
2: like I had said before, all of it is on LinkedIn, but to be specific, you can go to my website, which is sawdesignstudio.com. I too have a contact form there. My phone number is there as well. And anybody should feel free to reach out, whether it's email, phone, phone, whatever is best. But I would say LinkedIn will give you all of that information.
1: Great. Thank you, Richard.
0: Most everything is housed in one place for me. That's initiating protection.com. I also have a LinkedIn page, which I put a lot of videos out on as well, that uh, if you're interested in sort of seeing what are some of the topics I uh, think about and uh, talk about, you can see things there. And by the way, shout out to our host who also has a phenomenal LinkedIn page himself. Well,
3: thank you. The check is in the mail. <laughs> Scott. Uh, You can find me under Scott Whitten on LinkedIn. And you can also go to our website, proforma dot com and uh, click on the Contact Us form, and uh, it'll come directly to me. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And now for closing out the show, it's a little bit about uh, what we would call Anthony's financial take. Uh, As you've all kind of heard from the show here, it's working in tandem with a whole team of experts. And sometimes just getting that first step can be very intimidating, particularly when it comes to financial planning itself. So rather than kind of being intimidated by the answer, it's best to at least know the answer, such as what is my number? Well, what is that number? What a number could be? how much would I need to retire? How much uh, would I need this business or my net worth to grow to to be able to reach my financial goals? Well, it's kind of hard to plan a path to a destination when the destination is a little unknown or a big question mark. So rather than kind of, Going through in a, in a darkness here is a heavy. Suggestion is just having that conversation and at least know the answer, at least know the number. Might not be something that would be accomplished overnight or a week or a month, but at least then you would have a north star to kind of guide you, and then slowly make the path uh, to get to your financial goals or whatever your objectives may be. Best to have a path and know where you're going rather than kind of wandering about, getting lost in the weeds and the maze. So that's a little bit about my take. Is first, no to answer. At least you at least have a North Star to really help guide you on your path. And thank you for listening to Family Business Radio.